Welcome to Flippening, the first and original podcast for full-time, professional, and institutional crypto investors. I'm your host, Clay Collins. Each week, we discuss the cryptocurrency economy, new investment strategies for maximizing returns, and stories from the front lines of financial disruption. Go to Flippening.com to join our newsletter for cryptocurrency investors and find out just why this podcast is called Flippening. Clay Collins is the CEO of Nomics. All opinions expressed by Clay and podcast guests are solely their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of Nomics or any other company. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon as the basis for investment decisions. My guest today is actually me. In this episode, I'm interviewed by Rob Payone, host of the Crypto Bobby podcast. Anyway, a few weeks ago, Rob interviewed me for his show, and I liked the content so much that I asked Rob if I could air a modified version of that conversation here for you today. He generously said yes, so here we are. You're probably used to me being the one asking the questions. In this conversation, we flip the script. I hope you enjoy what happens when the tables are turned. Rob and I have a wide-ranging discussion about a number of topics. In the conversation you're about to hear, we discuss one. Nomics origin story and what led myself and my co-founder to start this company. Two, what the product roadmap looks like for Nomics and the importance of our forthcoming API product. Three, why we think we have the cleanest data in the space. Four, the evolution of institutional participation in crypto investing and some of the top lessons learned from the Flippening podcast. That is the podcast you're listening to right now. Five, the ethics of crypto asset liquidity events or ICOs. Six, Telegram hedge funds, seven, the evolution of ICO fundraising, eight, crypto index funds and crypto funds of funds, nine, decentralized exchanges, and 10, our favorite crypto projects right now. Please enjoy this conversation between myself and Rob Payone. Today, I have an awesome interview for you. Probably one of my favorite interviews that I've conducted to date. It is with Clay Collins, the founder of Nomics. And this is a website. It's pretty much brand new. It's just released within the past week or so. And they're, in some cases right now, similar to a coinmarketcap.com. But they're looking to innovate and provide a lot more data for investors and for people that are looking to analyze cryptocurrencies and the conversations that clay has on a continuous basis with hedge funds with institutional investors and his background and experience in SaaS software led to a really really interesting discussion i think you guys are going to really enjoy this 45 minutes like i said probably one of my favorite interviews that i've conducted to date at this point in time so definitely sit back and enjoy this one let's get into it Thanks a lot for taking the time to join me, Clay. I really appreciate you coming on the channel. And so for everybody who doesn't know you, how about a quick introduction on your end so the folks at home uh, you know, know your background, generally speaking, and, and when you got into crypto as well? Sure. So my background is as a SaaS entrepreneur. I'm the founder of a company called Lead Pages, which got started in January of 2013. Leadpages eventually acquired a marketing automation platform called Drip. While I was there, we grew that to over 50,000 paying customers. We raised $38 million in venture capital. It was a, a really a great time. I realized that really my the area where I like to focus is between like zero and 15 million mm-hmm. in annual revenue. And past that, I'm a little bit outside of my comfort zone. Yeah. So for my very first SaaS company, which was Lead Pages, 
that really was where it's at. And the board and I hired a CEO and I've, I've moved on to co-found a company called Nomics, which I'm having a lot of fun with. Absolutely. And I have Nomics up on the screen now, so we can, we can definitely talk about that a little bit more. And it's funny too, because, you know, we were talking beforehand that, uh, I think back maybe 2013, 2014, pretty early on with lead pages, I was, I was definitely one of those paying customers. Heard you through a podcast, Pat Flynn podcast, uh, a while ago. So I've I've definitely been uh, kind of a fan of, of yours for a while. So seeing you at least with with Nomics and kind of the founding there, transition into the crypto space has been pretty cool. So tell me a little bit about Nomics because you have a you have a podcast and then you also have a kind of a front end website right now as well. So a little bit of a high level overview of, of what you're doing at Nomics would be awesome now. We had this insight when we started looking at trade data in this space. And, and the insight really was that the space and the data around trades that were occurring had not been professionalized. So most of the exchanges have pretty poor APIs. And anyone who's trying to collect trade data and backtest their hypotheses against that data or you know, receive in real time information about what's going on in the market is going to be pretty frustrated. And if they're trying to integrate with multiple exchanges, they're going to be extremely frustrated. The formats change frequently. There's often lots of times when the APIs go down, so you have to go and catch up on data that was lost during that period. So the insight really was that there was an opportunity to create like a, a Zapier of exchange data so that, you know, instead of having to integrate with a bunch of different APIs to get data, you could integrate with one professionalized API that was conformed to the recent standards that had SLAs and uptime guarantees and response time guarantees. And we could provide that to family offices, hedge funds, professional investors, so that they can do everything that they need to do to operate their funds and strategies. So that's the back end of Nomics. And that's how we'll monetize the platform. The the front end is, you know, probably what's available at nomics.com right now, which is just the first installment of over 17 types of pages that you're that are going to be available there. We really saw an opportunity to provide something with great design that was fast, that was intuitive, that had things that you come to expect from websites like terms of services and privacy policies and contact us pages and phone numbers, that there was a real opportunity to provide, again, a level of professionalization to the data that's there. But the front end is really to market the back end. We are going to invest a lot into it because we've decided we're not going to invest in like pay-per-click or a sales team. We're going to put our marketing budget into the front end. That's really interesting. And I think a good way to approach it, especially when I guess the just environment in the crypto space in general. And I, I, I like the front end so far and uh, front end's relatively new, correct? It's It's been out for, I guess, how long has it been out for at this point? It's less than a week at this point. Gotcha. So right now there's a couple of different data points. I mean, market cap price, uh, daily change, volume, all-time high, things like that. And there's actually a pretty pretty solid number of close to 400 plus cryptocurrencies or crypto assets, whatever you want to call it that you could choose from. What type of data points are you looking at gathering in the future in addition to you know what might be available now? Is there anything specifically that you kind of have your eye on that you feel like is from an investing standpoint, something yeah. that's very needed in the space? 
so phase one for us was just making sure that that our data was clean. And I would sort of assert that we have the sort of the cleanest data set in the space. We've indexed over a billion trades right now, so there's no gaps. But in terms of collecting uh, additional data points, I talked to probably a, a developer at a hedge fund every one to two days. Mm-hmm. And I'd say the requests really come in, in one of two buckets. Usually they're saying like my life sucks because I spend so much time that I could spend doing really cool stuff with this data, just cleaning up the data. So that's one kind of ask is just give us good, clean data behind a professional API. The second request has to do with, you know, better crystal balls. So a lot of these funds have hypotheses around sentiment, around momentum, mm-hmm. around, you know, GitHub analytics. So how active is the development team? How active is the Telegram group? Is the Reddit group? So a lot of requests we're getting right now are around that. We're more interested in fundamental analysis. So we're sure. going to be moving to more on-chain analytics and showing things like the NVT score, netoid functions, which are really interesting. I think it's really about moving to more fundamental data and, and on-chain analysis. I think this social sentiment could be interesting, but there's just so many bots. And yeah. people have realized that a lot of investors are looking at this data in the aggregate and not looking at the specifics. <laughs> so it's really being gamed. Even Telegram groups, Reddit groups, oh, yeah. you know, Slack groups. It's, crazy. it's really nuts. It's the Wild West out there. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And I think it's really interesting kind of how, how you're approaching it too and, and what, you're, what you're doing at this point. I actually had a conversation yesterday and it's maybe a little bit, Similar goal, but more on trade execution side, where it was uh, Alexander Kravitz I spoke to. He's the co-founder of a company called xtrade.io, and they're trying to kind of build, uh, or they've, I think, have a a beta in process right now for an API across exchanges that will allow for trade execution across exchanges and long-term try to provide liquidity between exchanges, get the best price, things like that. But the level of like infrastructure, whether it's data or trade execution right now, it's still so like nascent in the industry. And the type yeah. of, of tools that are coming out like Nomics and like some of these other ones that are trying to, to fill that gap, I think is, is going to be really fascinating to watch, especially as a lot of, like you said, hedge funds, family offices, institutional investors are coming into this space. That's a really great point. I think an, another kind of potential route we could go is around correlations, Mm -hmm. especially time lag correlations. So what we're finding is that in general, certain crypto assets tend to move before other crypto assets that are in that category, Mm -hmm. you know, like Monero and Zcash are linked. One usually moves before the other Bitcoin and Bitcoin cash are linked. One usually moves before another. Something like that. Yeah, exactly. So you can, in a lot of ways, if, if you know, which one pops before the other, you can front run the market a little bit. So that's an opportunity for high frequency investors. <laughs> Although anyone who's doing custodianship right is probably taking a day to execute most of their trades. <laughs> you know, and yeah. you can't spend all day every day trading. That's kind of funny too, because I'm trying to remember the exact conversation, but I think it was a podcast that you had with Kyle Samani from Multicoin, where he was talking about basically the different tools and software that they've built out multi-signature kind of multi-signature storage and everything like that where if i remember correctly he was basically saying that the trade execution was really the worst part of his of his job as a crypto hedge fund manager they've got a fairly involved process for executing trades and it takes them a day to 
execute their trade. So it's not realistic for them to do that very often. We're finding that even index funds in the space are rebalancing, you know, at most every two weeks, rebalancing once a month is probably a little bit more common. But yeah, it's it's a pretty laborious activity right now if you have other people's money. If you have your own, you know, yeah. knock yourself out. <laughs> Keep it all in Bittrex yeah. or wherever. <laughs> so one thing that I just mentioned previously, but you, in addition to Nomics, you have a, a podcast that's associated with Nomics. Talk to me a little bit about that podcast because it's different. I would say probably the most one of the most professional crypto podcasts out there in terms of the guests you have on, the editing, things like that. You know, talk to me a little bit about just kind of what the goal is with that and who you like to speak to and kind of what type of information you're bringing across there is as well. So first off, I'm always looking up at you in the rankings because <laughs> you're you're always a little bit above us, and which makes me jealous. But uh, yeah, so I'd say the podcast is in a, a lot of ways similar to the thesis of the company, which is there's a lot of crypto bros shilling crap coins out there. <laughs> I, that's, that's never happened on YouTube. I don't know what you're talking about. There's there's no crypto bros shilling crap coins on YouTube. Yeah. So I'm um, ready to moon today. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag Lambo. Hashtag win moon. So we thought there was an opportunity to come in with something that resembled a little bit more like planet money. Mm-hmm. So for the most part, we're talking to institutional investors. We don't think institutional investors are necessarily more sophisticated than just kind of your average mm-hmm retail investor playing with their own money. But we think it it sort of adds a, a lacking perspective to the market. So there's a lot of editing. There's a lot of post-production. You know, I, I have a, an editor that spends, like I pay a sizable chunk of money to edit every episode. And we put a lot of time into it. We script out the intro. We script out the outro. We script out transitions. Sometimes we'll transition between a couple different guests in the same show. We've been told it's probably the most professionally produced podcast uh, in in the space right now. I'm kind of on a mission to speak to general partners of institutional crypto hedge funds. So thus far, we've spoken to a VC-style firm, Kyle Samani from Multicoin Capital. We've spoken to a fund of funds, which I'm an investor in. So you give them your money and then they invest it in a bunch of different funds. We've spoken to a crypto index fund. That episode is going to go live pretty soon. It's Ali from CoVenture, which tracks the top 15 cryptocurrencies and then rebalances every two weeks. I'm also an, uh, an investor in CoVenture. And there's several additional categories of funds that I'd like to talk to, but I really want to get a grasp for what institutional money is doing in this space mm-hmm. because I think it provides a lot of insight into where the market is going to go. People don't realize this. A BlackRock has something like $7 trillion under yep. management. So BlackRock has more under management than the entire like <laughs> cryptosphere by several you know multiples. So I think that tells us a lot about the future of the space, which is why I'm so interested in it. I'm also really interested in services that are built kind of around the space for institutional investors. So we interviewed someone who allows you to take loans against your Bitcoin wealth. So if you sell your Bitcoin, you have to pay capital gains tax. Was that, was that salt? It wow. wasn't salt. Um, it was unchained capital. Okay, gotcha. Salt is an on-blockchain solution. They have limits on how much they'll let you take out. Unchained is is probably built a little bit more for kind of like prime brokerage situations. 
so yeah, if you sell if you sell your Bitcoin or you sell your Ethereum, you have to take capital gains. If you borrow against it, you don't have to sell it, so you don't lose out on the gains, and you don't have to pay taxes, which is really nice. And if you're borrowing for the right thing, you can actually take a tax deduction on the interest you paid on your loan, which is probably <laughs> you know less than the amount of gain you'd get by not selling. So that's what's going on there. It takes a lot of time. It's a ton of work. Sometimes I'm up late at night, like cursing myself, like, oh God, oh God, another, you know, I've got to write more scripts here, but it's been a fun journey. We'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, you've done fantastic work with that. I've listened to quite a few of the episodes and really enjoyed them. So it's been awesome to see, you know, that level of, you You can just tell as, as somebody who makes a podcast, but doesn't spend anywhere near the amount of time producing it, probably at you know, 5% of the amount of time, if that. Uh, you can definitely tell the amount of work you put into it, which is pretty awesome. Uh, well, I think you're the smarter person here because you, you seem to be ranking above us, spending like one-tenth the time. So I, I don't I don't know if I'm doing the right thing yet. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to see in the long game. <laughs> so one one thing that you've, you know, you've obviously spoken, like you said, speaking to hedge funds, hybrid crypto VC firms, institutional investors a few different times a week. What have you seen just in terms of speaking to those individuals? Are there any trends you're noticing right now just in the marketplace or anything that's kind of coming up consistently outside of maybe the need for just much better data to drive those investing decisions as well? Most of the innovation that's happening in the institutional, semi-institutional space is happening with family offices that have a lot of discretion with what they can do. So a lot of activities happening there. Probably the next step up are index funds. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a, a lot of people aren't as interested in putting their money with a coin picker. I'm, I'm not sure they even think anyone knows what's going to happen, especially when a lot of these companies charge 20% carry and they have 2% fees. And in some cases, they are outperforming index funds. In other cases, in most cases, they're actually not. I'm seeing kind of this progression go from family offices to multifamily offices to index funds. And then probably the next thing above that in terms of going up the institutional ladder is we're seeing a lot of I'd say non-risk averse VC firms like Andreessen Horowitz and Union Square put money into more VC style crypto hedge funds that sure. do a lot of things that that VCs do like talk to teams and look over the code base. These are very expensive things to do in terms of just time and expenditure. So we're seeing VC funds put money into those types of firms and it kind of stops there. <laughs> Those are, those are the kind of the three rungs. That's, it's interesting. It's also even uh, kind of going off that point too, just seeing some of the traditional VC firms. And I think there was an article pretty recently in regards to the Telegram ICO, as far as a lot of the more crypto specific funds. I, I don't remember if it was specifically Pantera and some of the other bigger ones like Pantera, Block Tower, um, some of those ones that are passing on Telegram and then some of the more traditional mm -hmm. Silicon Valley-based VC firms that are very interested in, in putting money into like a Telegram ICO at a $2 billion valuation or whatever it might be. Yeah, I, I think they were. there was a lot of fear of missing out, a lot of FOMO around deals that Andreessen Horowitz and Union Square had done. And then now they saw this company that had a ton of traction with a very ambitious project and they thought it was time to, to get in. Another interesting trend that I'm seeing is the birth of like these telegram hedge funds. So 
it's in many cases like one person who's a really good trader Mm -hmm. that maybe has a technical co-founder that's going and collecting data and they're taking money from high net worth friends and family you know maybe their fund is you know between one million and, and five million and they're posting information about wins and losses and gains and stuff in just a Google spreadsheet, like a private, mm-hmm. a private Google spreadsheet. And they're taking like 20% of the gains. But what's interesting about these types of telegram hedge funds that are completely <laughs> unregulated, you oh, just yeah. have to like trust the person is that in many cases they're like denominated in Ethereum and they're, they're ICO based. I like these funds that are denominated in Ethereum because there's this notion of alpha and beta gains. So beta gains, there's like the, like if you invested in an index fund of the S&P 500, I know you know this, but I'm just sort of explaining for the large audience. So if you invested in the S&P 500, it goes up 20% in the year, you know, over a year. Those are beta gains. Those are just gains from, you know, the market at large is having. Alpha gains are gains that you get. I'm probably slurring this. Like Ari Paul could probably rip me apart for this explanation. But alpha gains are gains that you're getting above and beyond the general movements in the market. So, you know, some of these hedge funds are charging 20% and in some cases 30% performance fees when they more than double your money in a given year. So, you know, Bitcoin did 14x last year. Like, I don't want to pay 20% on what you would have gotten if just you just invested in Bitcoin, right? Sure. So when you're denominated in like, when the fund is denominated in Ethereum or Bitcoin, then you're really only paying for the alpha gains, which I'm totally okay tw- you know, paying for 20%, you know, when someone outperforms Bitcoin. Yeah. So that's that's kind of interesting. In a lot of cases, those are those can be the better route to go if you're... Okay, okay with, with taking on the risk. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny because I'm I'm kind of in a similar situation where I've I've just through through New York City through mutual connections things like that I've had a chance to meet a number of different people and there's a lot of situations like that where it's like hey there's this opportunity throw us a few ETH here we go we're gonna get into this I'll hold the yeah. tokens for you short term or most sophisticated case uh, I have a friend that built a smart contract that will automatically disperse any type of send an ETH automatically disperse the tokens uh, or anything like that. So it's that's been a really interesting way to try to out outperform the market in some, you know, in some cases. But like you said, yeah. seems like there's a lot of hedge funds. And I think a lot of people have been joking about some of the hedge funds, at least on crypto Twitter the past couple of days, about how people are still enjoying that, you know, two two and twenty percent fee for, you know, losing sixty percent of uh of the of the valuation in the past oh couple of weeks. But who knows? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Especially I think it's it's the last day of every year that most of these funds are taking their gains according to coin market cap, which is a really interesting choice. So I started investing in 2013 and it was really simple back then. You know, I, I got in on the Ethereum pre-sale and I bought Bitcoin. And if you bought those two things, you were going to be okay. But now I think so many things are are happening that I think it does behoove most people to consider in, you know, taking a portion of what they have and investing it in there's uh, Bitwise Investments has sure. something called the Hold 10. I think it's a minimum of 25K to get in. CoVenture has an interesting index fund. There's going to be some on-chain index funds as well. But I think, you know, it behooves people to to put some money there because 
these movements aren't rational in in many cases. So you've got people coming in with like this uh, value investing sort of mindset and saying, well, I'm going to look at the code and evaluate the team. And it's like, none of that matters. You know, you've got Sean. (laughs) (laughs) I completely agree. I mean, that's, that's the funny part about it is like, there are so many, I feel like there's so many just incredibly intelligent people with all these valuation methods and trying to go through a process of, you know, this is why this coin is valued at X. This is why this coin is valued at Y. And then as much as I love Dogecoin, you got Dogecoin at $2 billion, or at least you did like a month ago. And yeah. there's no logical reason why a cryptocurrency that I don't think has had a GitHub commit in a year and a half or something like that oh my gosh. Is, is valued at $2 billion. But that's the crypto market. And I guess you can't really fight that trend until it goes the other way. I think that's why I do enjoy the the diversification of like an index fund. There's a methodology and they just execute against that methodology. I think another interesting trend that we're going to see more of are these funds of funds. So on the podcast, I, I interview a guy named Rick Marini that runs Protocol Ventures. He, I think minimum investment with him is half a million dollars. And what's interesting about the way he operates is he has he has special deals with these funds. So one objection to a fund of funds sometimes is that it's it's like fees on top of fees. So if you've got a hedge fund that's taking two and twenty, you know, two percent management fee, twenty percent carry, and then you've got to pay Rick at Protocol Ventures, it's just costing you a lot of money. What's cool though is that Rick has special deals with many of these funds so that his fee is just sort of lumped into mm-hmm. what you'd pay the individual funds because he does he does get a discount. I personally wasn't willing to invest enough to get into like Polychain Capital. Yep. Or um Ari Paul's Block Tower, I think it was a minimum of 5 million dollars investment to invest in Block Tower. I didn't have that much to put in, but I did want to get in on this fund of funds which gives me exposure to Polychain to, to Block Tower to all these other things. And it just helped me diversify. Like I was really afraid that I just picked the wrong one, but I know all the funds he's in and I like all of them. They're all like really good funds. So I think through the index fund and through the fund of funds, I feel like I've just spread out the risk enough <laughs> that I'm probably going to be okay. Absolutely. And that's that's interesting. And I think even too, I mean, there's like a certain level of investable assets for I think most people. And even I have a, I have a couple of friends that have, you know, have, have done well, and they, they've gotten to a certain point where they're looking at their portfolio. And they're having like a small hedge fund, and I've reached out and they'll say, Hey, you know, I want to put maybe, you know, even if I don't want to go all in, I'll put 25 30% of, of my capital in this, you know, in this hedge fund, just to diversify some of the risk. And hopefully, if things, you know, if things go down, they're able to play that. And I'll, ha- I'll keep the rest on my own, not pay those fees, whatever it might be. So I think that's been kind of an interesting approach to see a lot of people develop and the fund to fund approach is, is pretty cool. And I think even you can break that down. Uh, I don't know how often you've been seeing like these ICO syndicates and things like that. Like that's a lot. I've been, yep. I've been seeing that all the time now. And there's even people that I have a few friends that are looking to start like a syndicate of syndicates where, uh, you know, it's just like all over the place, spreading, spreading out allocations to pre-sale ICOs and things like, things like that. Because especially with the, the SEC yesterday, I think the days of main sale ICO investing is, is completely over at this point in time. So either you're an accredited investor, you have a foreign passport or you are participating in some syndicate where you're basically just sending somebody ETH and they're kind of taking on that counterparty risk for you. Yeah. I have mixed feelings about those those Telegram mm-hmm. ICO syndicates. Uh, you know, I think we're 
we're finding that they're scary in some cases. They're scary in some cases, and I used to fault venture capitalists for buying into a company early, you know, putting a ton of money into it at a loss to pump it up prior to an ICO, and then when the or into an IPO, sorry, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then when the IPO happened, you know, pensions and grandmothers and people would buy this thing, and and in many cases it would tank, but they they just kind of sold off their their gains to the public markets. What I'm seeing with a lot of these ICOs is a lot of them are scared to do a public ICO anymore. Yep. So what they're doing is they're going to these kind of sometimes shady, sometimes not pools of liquidity in, in some of these syndicates and maybe selling $10 million to $20 million of their token at a huge discount, sometimes 50%, sometimes 80%. Right. And these people are buying up the tokens and reselling them on day one on these exchanges, not holding, it's just massive profits. And the only value that they're really providing is saving this company. Yeah, it's just liquidity on day one. I think sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad. I was reading, I can't, I don't want to name names here, but (laughs) I'm not going to name names here, but there was a top tier investor, Mm -hmm. which there's three initials associated with their firm. Uh, there was a top tier <laughs> investor that was essentially buying tokens at a huge discount, allowing the project, you know, to do a bunch of press around the fact that this company had invested and was simply flipping those tokens when they hit the public exchange. And like that's all they were doing was slapping their name on it, buying the tokens at a discount and flipping them. That's not a value added service. No, no. You know? It's and it's something too. I mean, for for anybody that's that's watching it now, I mean, as a as a retail investor, as somebody that might be participating in ICO or looking afterwards at some of these ICOs, I mean, I think that's one thing that you definitely need to be aware of is not to you know call anything out, but behind the scenes there is a lot of that going on where there are some of these bigger hedge funds or you know people that are, are prominent in the space that are getting massive massive discounts on these on some of these ICOs and some of these tokens, and day one when it hits a prominent exchange. You're buying their their token at a you know at a hundred percent profit to them, and they'll continue to sell that, and you might see some some depreciation in that price due to that. So it's uh, it's been an interesting trend to watch. And then also the associate some of the how some of the companies that maybe are a little bit more respectful of that, whether they're implementing lockups on the you know they're yep. implementing lockups and things like that. But on the other end of the spectrum, when you think about lockups, who knows where the crypto market's going to be in three years? So. How many investors are really that confident? And, you know, you might be incredibly confident in a project, but the crypto market could be you know, $5 trillion in three years. It could be at $100 billion in three years. I don't think anybody knows. And, and participating in a lockup like that, I think, is a pretty big risk for at least some of these folks. You know, what people give up in security, <laughs> they, they gain in liquidity. Yeah. And having very little liquidity and high risk is just a uh, whew. It's hard for me to stomach as an investor. (laughs) One of the – I don't know if this is something you're seeing at all, but I think one of maybe the interesting developments that's starting to go on too is these pre-sale ICOs that are followed by an airdrop to whether it's – I think Polymath was one of the ones that recently did it, and there's been a couple other ones. But that's been something that I've been seeing. I don't know if that's something that you've heard about at all, but it seems like that's like a trend from like a regulatory perspective. Maybe is more favorable from a regulatory standpoint, and then the, the airdrop kind of adds a level of liquidity on day one. That's kind of interesting. I mean, I think it was Naval Ravikant who started referring to 
fair coins, so coins that distribute tokens to you know hundreds of millions of people if possible. Um, so the the wealth is spread far and wide. I haven't tracked a lot of the airdrop yeah. activity. I just haven't done enough there. I probably missed out on a lot of free money. <laughs> I don't know. Are you getting in on airdrops? Uh, in, in some cases, I, the polymath one, I think at the time it was like $250 of free money. Just that all you wow. need to do is sign up for an email. So that was pretty interesting. But I think there's some other ones that seem to be following that. Because I guess from from my mind, there's yeah, obviously if there, there's a company out there like I feel like there's there's a really interesting balance because a company like Telegram, they might raise a ton of money or they're trying to raise a ton of money. But if it's and at least in my mind, if they're trying to have end user adoption, does end user adoption really get assisted when you have 10 hedge funds that buy up all the tokens? Or is there a better way to approach that where you can actually get small individuals and investors in addition to maybe those hedge funds that provide the the large blocks of initial funding? So I I feel like that's been very interesting to watch develop, at least from from my point of view. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, sometimes I'm just kicking back and eating popcorn. I, I, (laughs) I don't have an opinion on a lot of this stuff. It's fun to constantly be looking at the data. I, I, I've got the, you know, I, I have the nomics dashboard open a a lot of times. And one of the things that I'm always looking at is whether or not Bitcoin is outperforming the market on the whole. And uh, recently Bitcoin has been outperforming the market. I think during upswings it does, or when the market's gone down and then it, kicks back up again when it bounces mm-hmm. hopefully this isn't a dead cat bounce yeah uh, bitcoin tends to outperform the market but i i think those are people just converting fiat back to bitcoin again so that they can buy other coins so i think other tokens are going to follow as far as looking at the crypto ecosystem in a large scale is there any specific project it could be a crypto asset a currency or just something that's kind of ancillary and supporting the crypto ecosystem is there anything that you find very interesting right now I'm really interested in in decentralized exchanges. So uh, 0x is something that I have a a lot of conviction about. I remember when I interviewed Kyle Samani on the Flipping Podcast. So the interview with him actually happened, I believe, in in late October, even though it took us several months to actually publish it. And he was talking about how 0x was his highest conviction investment. So at that time I went out and, and got a bunch and it's been it's been good to me. Same I think here. a lot about these like multi yeah, <laughs> I think a lot about these, you know, multi-level or these second order network effects. So everyone talks about network effects for individual tokens. But what happens when you have a protocol that has other protocols built on top of it that also have network effects. So Ethereum is an example of that. It's not just the network effect around Ethereum. It's the network effects around the networks that are built on on top of Ethereum. And then I think you've got 0x, which is maybe, you know, it's sort of a third order network effect where you've got decentralized exchanges, which have standardized on the 0x protocol, which is built on top of Ethereum. I think we're going to see a lot more decentralized exchanges. I, for one, Although I'm I'm all about paying taxes, this is not about tax evasion. But mm-hmm. I do not like that Coinbase is reporting transactions to the IRS. I think we're going to see more oversight from governments across oh, yeah. the world, and the thought of being able to trade directly from my Trezor or from my Ledger Nano S is really appealing. Decentralized exchanges enabled that. Most of them right now are ERC twenty token based, but pretty soon with atomic swaps. 0x is going to allow 
you to trade essentially anything for anything else. And to be able to do that without going through a third party is incredibly exciting to me. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I have uh, I have a decent size holding of both Zero X and Air and uh, AirSwap as well, uh, and nice. I I like both of them. I think Zero X, especially with Radar Relay, and you're starting to see at least in the beginning of January, started to see the volume pick up on on Radar Relay and some of the other decentralized exchanges kind of built on the Zero X protocol. So that's been pretty fascinating to watch. And I think there's such like a hatred for centralized exchanges in the crypto world, and oh the idea of plugging in your ledger and trading and really right now the best way to do that is like ether delta or like idex but i think both of them fall short in terms of the actual usability so i feel like the usability isn't just there yet but once the usability and the liquidity get there it should be pretty fun to watch how those might how those might blow up yeah it's it's going to be really exciting you know i think shapeshift in a lot of ways has some of that market you know you don't have to have an account there no one has to know about those trades. But yeah, I, I think that's right. Once the, the liquidity is there, it's game over. I think I think we're going to see everything start heading in that direction. How about you? What else? What are you interested in these days? What what tokens are you? I'm not any any tips for me. <laughs> so I I mean to to your point too. I'm a, I'm a big fan of of both zero X and NAST. So I I like both of those. I'm speaking to I think I actually just scheduled an interview today with the AirSwap team for February 14th. Nice. So that should be interesting to get in contact with them and hear a little bit about what they're trying to do. I think they have a solid team there. Outside of that, I think privacy coins have, have been interesting to me. I think that the the valuation. It's so hard to figure out the the actual like true valuation, but in terms of the use case, I feel like that's so strong. But I have so for me right now, I have Zcash. Although I've been looking, there's the Zcash versus Monero debate. I feel like there's a lot of discord between the two. So mm-hmm. I've been trying to evaluate whether I, or not I might be just better served with something like Monero, or if that just has a better use case, and maybe Zcash would be a better investment vehicle. So trying to figure that out at this point in time, and then I have still been looking at opportunities within ICOs. I think there, there's still quite an opportunity out there, but it has to be really a perfect scenario. And I think there's something to be said about the, the projects that are, are conservative and raising that like sub $30 million hard cap, because there are so many terrible cryptocurrencies out there that are you know, 100 plus million dollars. It's pretty easy to look at one of you know some of those pretty conservative crypto, you know, pretty conservative raises in an industry that has maybe a direct competitor or an actual use case and then can pop pretty much on on day one. So I've been been evaluating those. Like one one that I participated in recently uh, was Origin uh, Origin Trail that like three four x a couple mm-hmm. days after the the ICO and that was a supply chain play. So supply chain has been another one that I've been kind of looking at and seeing where some of the traditional industries how you might be able to take blockchain whether or not it's it will actually come to fruition or not. I think it remains to be seen. But if there's an investing thesis on that now, I I feel like in a lot of cases, that's all it really needs at this point in time for a lot of these. Was there anything maybe that we didn't cover from in regards to what you're doing with Nomics and and your podcast or anything like that, that maybe you'd like to tell the audience? The gist of what we're doing is that, you know, we think there's an opportunity to level up the services here. I'd love it if folks had any feedback or comments for us. There's a contact us form on the website. Our email's there. There's a phone number on the website. If you have suggestions, if you have asks, we are very much into outreach. So to my knowledge, 
you know, none of the other companies in this space, well, for the most part, they're anonymous. So you don't mm-hmm. even know who they are. Yep. There aren't terms of service. There aren't privacy policy. There aren't contact us pages. We're talking to people. We're showing up on, on shows like this. We yeah. want to be part of the conversation. We want to hear from people. So I think the main thing is that we want feedback. Do you like how it looks on your mobile device? Is there a data point that you think we should prioritize? Do you want to jump on the phone and, and talk about opportunities for making things better? So we're here. We're interacting with the market. Talk to us and let us know what you think. Awesome. Well, that's definitely like fantastic news on, on your front. And I'm, I'm excited to see what you end up kind of building because I know this is very early on and there's Super a lot of early. things in the pipeline. So I'm excited to see how that develops. And I love the idea of, and the approach you're taking of having this front end with the website, with the podcast, providing all that value to, you know, in the future, provide you know, significant backend services to institutional investors, family offices, hedge funds. So I think that's a fantastic approach. And I'm, I'm excited to see how it continues to develop. And I really do appreciate you taking the time and not only talking about nomics, but just your general thoughts on the industry, I think. I really appreciate it. I learned a ton. Uh, just the level of conversations you have on a daily basis are super helpful for me to find out about. And I think everybody else out there is, is really going to enjoy it as well. Awesome. I love your... Um, so I listen to your show. I love that it's very straightforward. It's sobering. There's not... you know, There's so much dude bro coin shilling Lambo mooning <laughs> like crap. And so to hear like kind of a sober voice being rational, spelling out what risks are, but also being really open about where the opportunities yeah. are as well. I, that's that's a fantastic thing to see. So thank you for doing what you're doing and thanks for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time, Clay. Hope you have a good one. That's it for this week. To sign up for our free crypto investing newsletter, listen to other episodes, or get the show notes from this episode, please visit flippening.com. I also invite you to check out the startup that funds this podcast, Nomics, spelled N-O-M-I-C-S, at nomics.com. Finally, if you got value from the show, the biggest thing you can do to help us out is to leave a five-star review with some comments and feedback on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.